Well, church, it's, uh, it's a great privilege for me to stand here in this pulpit today. You who are online, uh, welcome. It really is a privilege. There's been many men who have been in the pulpit of this particular church since it began. We are a CMA church, Christian Missionary Alliance Church. Uh, it was founded by a man who was born in 1843 named A.B. Simpson. A.B. Simpson, for years, experienced all kinds of physical ailments in his body. The Lord miraculously healed him, brought him into the fullness of the power of God through the Holy Spirit, and uh, he began this particular denomination, which has spread worldwide, missions everywhere, many churches. We here are part of the central district of the CMA, which uh, has 89 churches in eastern Ohio and West Virginia. So we are part of something much bigger than ourselves. And the DNA that we have as this church started out with God revealing himself through the power of his spirit to A.B. Simpson years back. He pastored for many years at a very large church in Louisville. Then he went to Manhattan in New York City. He did that for a couple years, but then God called him to minister to the destitute, to the immigrants in New York City. And that's how he spent the remaining years of his life. He developed what's called the fourfold gospel. Jesus is our savior, Jesus is our sanctifier, Jesus is our healer, and our soon coming king. He was quite the individual. The Assemblies of God and Pentecostals denominations uh, were actually together with him at one point in time and then branched off. There's another pastor, a well-known pastor in some circle, named Martin Lloyd-Jones. Martin Lloyd-Jones was a medical doctor. He was a Welshman, and uh, he became uh, a doctor in London and God called him into the ministry. He writes in the early pages of his study of the book of Acts entitled Authentic Christianity. History tells us that within two centuries, Christianity had become the most powerful force in the Roman Empire. By the beginning of the third century, it had become such a powerful force that a Roman emperor named Constantine deemed it a wise move to make the Roman Empire officially Christian. In 313 AD, Constantine issued the Edict of Milan, which accepted Christianity. They stopped the persecution. Ten years later, it became the official religion of the Roman Empire, the same empire that crucified the Lord Jesus Christ within the span of two centuries, in the early part of the third century, those individuals had such an impact upon the culture in which they lived that their culture officially became a Christian culture. Now, we know there's no such thing as a Christian culture, 
there are Christians within the culture, but the culture itself is far from Christian. What was it that those people had that God enabled them to make such an impact within the Roman Empire? Let's pray. Holy Spirit, fall upon us this morning. Fill me once again, Holy Spirit. Fill our minds with the truth from your word. Stir our hearts afresh, O Lord. Let there be nothing lukewarm within us. And strengthen our will, Lord, that we may be the people in our day through the power of your Spirit that we would have an effect upon our culture, that we would be a faithful people who would carry forth the mission that you have called us to. And I ask these things in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Jesus said, unless he builds the church, we labor in vain. You can build a significant church with human skill and ability, but that may not be a church where the kingdom of God is fully manifest. What's the kingdom of God? What's a kingdom like? Well, a kingdom has to have a king. A kingdom has to have people who are subject to the king. The king has power. Within the kingdom of God, our king is Jesus Christ. The people within the kingdom of God are those whom the Lord Jesus has saved and redeemed. People who have heard the gospel message. People who have, by the grace of God, seen themselves as sinners. They purpose to repent by the grace of God of their sins. And they, they choose to live under the rule and reign of King Jesus. The kingdom of God is a spiritual kingdom. It isn't something that you can really see. It's not brick and mortar. The church can be the kingdom of God, and this church is the kingdom of God. You can have people out in the woods, Christians, believers who come together. The kingdom of God is right there because Jesus said, where two or more gather together, I'm there present in your midst. This morning, Jesus mysteriously is in our midst. Think of it. So you, you have to have a king. You have to have people. And there's power and presence in that kingdom. Power and presence. Now, in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, God manifested his presence that people could see, they could hear, they could experience God through his presence through their own senses. God, in the Old Testament, repeatedly demonstrated his presence through fire. Moses heard God speak in a burning bush, a bush that was never consumed by the fire. When Moses received the Ten Commandments, he was on top of a mountain. The mountain was in flame. 
flame, so much fire blazing on top of that mountain that the Israelites were in fear and trembling and had been warned to not get near that mountain. The fire of God. He led his people throughout their history with a pillar of fire at night and a pillar of cloud by day. They could see with their own eyes the presence of God in their midst. The Old Testament kingdom was one of miracles. Miracles. There were lots of miracles in the Old Testament. God parted the Red Sea. The Israelites went through on dry ground. When they got to the other side, the water came over the Egyptians who were following them. The Israelites saw the miracle of God. His power was being demonstrated. Joshua prayed. The earth stopped turning for 24 hours. The sun stayed in the exact same place for one day. There was a wicked king named Belshazzar. He had a big banquet. He was an idol worshiper. He wasn't honoring God at all. During the banquet, a hand mysteriously appeared on the wall, began writing letters that the king couldn't read. All of his wise men couldn't read it. Finally, someone said, there's a man named Daniel. He came, he read what was written. It was the demise of Belshazzar. The end of his kingdom, the end of his reign. God brought judgment upon him. Lots of miracles in the Old Testament. Lots of demonstrations of God's mighty power and lots of evidence of his presence. You and I feel God's presence at times in different ways. When I was saved at a Billy Graham crusade 49 years ago at the old Cleveland Stadium, it was with tears. I was sobbing. I heard the gospel message. I knew I was a sinner. I could never stop sinning. But I heard that God loved me. I heard the gospel message that Jesus Christ died for me, and the Spirit of God came upon me and gave me the faith to believe and to repent and to receive Christ. And I walked down those ramps of the stadium, sobbing onto the playing field. That was the moment God had chosen when I was born again. I felt that. I've cried many times since in the presence of God. We're watching the series, The Chosen. I sob through it. Every time Jesus does something that he, that's in the scriptures that he did, the tears come. The tears come and I can't stop it. It was just last summer during the pandemic, we were streaming services everywhere. I heard a message Scott preached. And a couple days later, I began meditating upon his verses. And I had this event with God where I just felt God's presence in a way I haven't felt in years. And I was sobbing, and I couldn't stop. 
And I went from my desk to the living room, and I told my wife, this is happening. What is happening? What's happening? Let's check out this church. We checked it out, and here we are. God led us. He led us. It was sovereign. It was wonderful. I love it. I couldn't be happier. This church is a place of God's presence. It is, and it's going to be increasingly so in the days to come. Because God always purposes to glorify himself among his people. He has so much more for us, church. So much more. There's no end to it. Jesus comes onto the scene. There's a man named John the Baptist, a prophet. Strange kind of a guy. But John is baptizing people for repentance. And he's saying, prepare the way, prepare the way, because the king is going to come. He didn't know who Jesus was, but God had spoken to him. And God had said to John, the, the man you baptize, on whom you see the Spirit descend, he is the Lamb of God. One day Jesus comes to John to be baptized. He comes up out of the water. The heavens open up. The voice of the Father speaks. The Spirit of God descends upon Jesus' head and remains upon him. And the voice of the Father says, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. That was the inauguration of Jesus. That was the appearance of the Trinity all at once. The Father in heaven, his voice was heard. The heavens opened up. The Spirit of God descended like a dove upon Jesus, and Jesus himself, anointed by the Spirit, the Spirit of God that would remain upon him and never leave. What a wonderful day that was. Guess what happened after that? The Spirit of God, who just descended upon Jesus, drives him into the desert. He spends 40 days in this desert fasting. He's tempted by Satan three times. He overcomes the temptations of the enemy. And he emerges from that empowered for his ministry. It wasn't long after that that on a Sabbath day in Nazareth, Nazareth, he declared his mission. In the book of Luke, chapter 4, verse 16, and he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll, and he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty 
those who are oppressed. And he rolled up the scroll, and he gave it back to the attendant and sat down. All eyes in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus described his mission. He described his ministry. That mission, that ministry hasn't changed. It hasn't changed. He uses us, you, to accomplish that mission. You and I, enabled by the Holy Spirit, can accomplish that mission. Jesus also said that he came that we might have life and have that abundantly. That's one of my life verses. He came that we might have life and have it abundantly. When I was 31, I nearly died. I was septic. I had a 106-degree fever in a hospital. I had had a ruptured appendix that wasn't diagnosed. And when I had surgery, I had gangrene. I was about to die. The doctor said, we can't, we can't help you. The antibiotics are not working. Jesus healed me. He healed me. He delivered me. He set me free. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. What has the enemy stolen from you? What has he taken from your life? Has he taken your identity in some way? Has he enslaved you in some form of bondage? He does that. His whole mission is to steal, kill, and destroy. What's been killed within us, Jesus brings back to life. What's been destroyed within us, Jesus rebuilds. That's who he is. That's what he does. At the end of the Gospel of John, the last verse is so interesting. There were many other things that Jesus did, hundreds of things, thousands of things. Who knows the number during his years of ministry, the number of people that he touched, that he healed, that he set free from demonic oppression and influence. John wrote, there are many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. There is no end to the love of God for his people. There is no limit to his power in our lives. There is no 
time that when we come to Jesus, he's not there for us. When I was in the most desperate, desperate situation, God led us to a church where his presence was. <clears throat> I prayed, Jesus, if you're really real, if I could just touch the hem of your garment, you could heal me. I felt this presence come upon me. It was like this this tingling that went from the top of my head to the soles of my feet, and it went back up, and it went back down, and it was a wonderful, warm feeling. That was the beginning of my healing. Jesus heard that prayer. He loves to hear our prayers. He loves to answer our prayers. Paul wrote, the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. The kingdom of God does not consist in just talk, but in power. The power of God, the God who created everything, the God who created us, the God who knit us together in our mother's womb. We are fearfully and wonderfully made as a human being. He did that. He did that. The king has a great commission for his people. He called his 12 apostles together. He began to send them out two by two, and he gave them authority over unclean spirits, demons, demons. Twelve men. One was a doctor, Luke. Fishermen, regular guys, manly men, no seminary training, just men whose lives were transformed by being with Jesus. They believed his teachings. They received his authority. So they went out and they proclaimed that people should repent. They cast out many demons and they anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. Okay, they were the apostles, right? They were special. They were with Jesus. They, that was then. Now is now. Uh, it's the same today. It's the same today as it was then. You know what else Jesus did? He sent 72 out after that. The 72 that he authorized returned, and they said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. He said, Behold, I give you power to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing, nothing, nothing is going to hurt you. I've given you that authority. Nevertheless, don't rejoice in that, that the demons submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Okay, so that was still the day of Jesus before he ascended into heaven. But what happened after that? What did these, Rome, what did these Christians have 
during the first two centuries that the whole Roman Empire became Christian. What did they have? They have what all of us have. They had what all of us have, who have the Spirit of God living within us. The thing of it is, when we're born again, the Holy Spirit comes into our spirit. He'll never leave us, he'll never forsake us, he's always there. But you know what? We can become lukewarm. We cannot recognize what our identity is in Christ. We cannot recognize that we are vessels of clay, but there's a treasure within. We cannot recognize the authority that Christ gives to us. We can't recognize the giftings that he has for us to do his work unless unless we have faith and unless we seek that, unless we ask him. We ask him and he does wonderful things. He loves to glorify himself. He loves to manifest his presence to us. You and I are co-heirs with Christ. You and I have a hope, a future, and a destiny. You and I are ambassadors in a fallen world. You and I are ambassadors in this culture in which we live. And you know what? Jesus loves the sinner. If he didn't love the sinner, none of us would be sitting here in this room right now. He loves the sinner. He loves the one who is out there. He loves the lost sheep who has strayed. He goes after them. You and I are the ambassadors for Jesus. You and I have the great privilege to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I've commanded. And he said, Behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. So how can you and I be empowered to carry on this mission that Jesus has for us? Well, let's look at the early church. In the book of Acts, in the first chapter, after Jesus ascended, after he was crucified and rose from the dead, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them, his followers, during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. What does it mean to be baptized by the Holy Spirit? It means to be immersed to be saturated 
It means to be dripping with the Holy Spirit. That's what God has for us. We have nothing within ourselves. But he has this baptism of the Holy Spirit for all of us. We have the Holy Spirit residing in our spirit who wants to transform our soul, wants to inform our mind, wants to change our will according to the rule of God. You know what? He has more than that. He has his very presence and his power to immerse us in. To immerse us in. We can't bear fruit for the kingdom of God if we don't do it according to his way. We can't do it on our own. I've tried. I'll tell you, it doesn't work. But if I do it by the Spirit of God, it works. Jesus said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things as they were looking on, he was lifted up, a cloud took him out of sight, he ascended into heaven where he sits today at the right hand of the Father. Then they returned to Jerusalem. They spent 10 days together, praying, praying, waiting, doing what Jesus said. 10 days they did that. That was a long prayer meeting on the day of Pentecost. On the day of Pentecost, they were all together. Suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues of fire. Fire. Remember the Old Testament? Fire. The fire of God appeared on them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. They began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in their own native language. All who were there, around them, in that area, were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? Peter, Peter, who had denied Jesus three times when Jesus was arrested, Peter, who was terrified, said he would never deny Christ, denied him three times. Peter, was among this 120 that were gathered together in that upper room. He said to the crowds, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day or nine in the morning. 
But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Pinch your arm. You're flesh. I'm flesh. Are you flesh? If you're flesh, God said, he's going to pour out his spirit on you, on me. And he said, your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. A word of prophecy in the New Testament is a word that strengthens, encourages, and comforts the saints. Strengthens, encourages, and comforts the saints. I don't know about you, but I like that. And I'm sure you do too, because we all need that. We all need those words from God that stirs our soul and causes us to realize freshly that God is right there with us, that he loves us. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit. Your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. I'm one of those old guys. I've had a few dreams that God's given to me, and I love them. I love them. You know, the Holy Spirit... The baptism of the Holy Spirit has been controversial in the church. Some would say, unless you speak in tones, you're not baptized in the Holy Spirit. That You just don't find that in Scripture. The Holy Spirit gives gifts severally as he wills. He gives wonderful gifts. He gives supernatural gifts. He gives ministry gifts. The super, there's nine supernatural gifts that he gives. Some of them are vocal gifts. There's tongues, interpretation of tongues, and prophecy. Those are vocal gifts. He gives us intuitive gifts, a word of knowledge, a word of wisdom, discerning of demonic spirits. Those are intuitive gifts. And there's three other gifts, the power gifts, faith, healing, working of miracles. The Holy Spirit gives us his fruit so we can live under the rule of God. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I need all those. And I know you do too. And God has that for us. We can't live the Christian life apart from God. We can't live the Christian life apart from the Spirit of God who lives and dwells within us. Church, we need to be immersed in the Holy Spirit. Immersed, baptized, saturated, dripping. Let's not settle for anything else. Let's not walk in the counsel of the wicked. Let's not sit in the seat of scoffers. Let's not bow down to the gods of this world, popularity, possessions, power, prestige, position, private lusts. 
It's beneath us. It's beneath us as citizens of the kingdom. Don't bow down to those gods. You have a destiny. You are a child of the king. You are ambassadors in this world. You carry the presence of God with you. You carry the truth of the gospel with you. You carry the giftings of the Spirit as God has purposed to give to you. And our job is to use those for his glory. Let's become those individuals who are intentional to advance the kingdom of God. Intentional, deliberate, purposeful. Let's be aggressive to advance the kingdom of God with boldness and with forceful energy. And let's, church, be desperately dependent upon the Holy Spirit. He's given us his spirit. He's given us the baptism of the spirit to be immersed in his power, his presence, his truth, so that you and I can live our lives for the remaining days, however many there may be, so that we can live as those early Christians in the first and second century lived. Those individuals had such an impact upon their culture that the Roman Empire was declared to be a Christian nation. That's astounding when you think about that. We can become so focused on so many other things. We can be so focused on some of our rights perhaps being taken away in the culture in which we live. Those early Christians experienced persecution for a couple centuries. We've got it pretty soft. We have a lot to be thankful for. We don't have anything to really complain about. But we have the kingdom of God to talk about and demonstrate. The kingdom of God is not a matter of words, but it's a matter of the presence and power of God. The gospel is the power of salvation. If you're here this morning, God's brought you here. If you're here and you've never received the free gift of salvation, it's yours for the asking. The only requirement to have every sin we've ever committed forgiven is to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and to purpose by his grace and his enabling power to turn from those sins Turn away from them, which is what repentance is, and to follow Christ. It's that simple.
every sin, every failure, every transgression under the blood of Jesus Christ. If you need healing of your soul, there are people here in this church who will minister to you, who will pray for you, who will stand with you in that journey. If you experience torment, if you experience demonic torment and oppression, there are people who can pray for you. Jesus said, he said, if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, the kingdom of God is here. He said also, if I cast out demons by the finger of God, the kingdom of God is here. You have a demon on your arm? Jesus just simply took his finger and flicked it off. Just the demon. He's given the church authority. He's given the church power. We need to live under his rule and reign, and we need to recognize who we are in Christ. And what we don't have that we see in the Word of God, it's ours. Jesus said, whatever things you ask in my name, whatever it is that you ask in my name, I will do it. That is an incredible promise. What does it mean to ask something in Jesus' name? What would Jesus do in that situation? What would Jesus do with the picture of Dio that we saw? That little three-and-a-half-year-old boy living in Uganda who was about to come to the Cleveland Clinic through Samaritan's Purse. The Cleveland Clinic provides that surgery at no cost. That little guy was chosen. The Samaritan's Purse people in Uganda discovered him somehow. They chose him. They arranged for him, for his aunt, for an interpreter to fly here. They arranged passports and visas and all of that to bring him here so that he could have that surgery at the Cleveland Clinic. He moved upon the hearts of Joe and Janet Grasso to host these people. That boy has a destiny. And we're praying for that destiny to be fulfilled. We, church, have a destiny. Let's fulfill our destiny by the grace, by the presence, by the power of our God. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you for the privilege to stand here and to declare your word. Thank you, Jesus, for the love that you have for us. Thank you, Jesus, for all the things you've done for us, for giving us your own spirit. Lord, I pray that in these days to come that you will 
Baptize us freshly, Lord, in your Holy Spirit. I pray that you would immerse us in the presence and the power of your Spirit. I pray, Lord, that you would enable us to recover from whatever it is that the enemy has done in our lives. I pray, Lord, that your Spirit would enable us to fulfill your commission in this world in which we live. And Jesus, I thank you that when our days come to an end, Lord, when our spirit leaves this body, it will be in your presence throughout the ages of eternity. And I thank you, Lord, that you are going to come again, that you are going to establish your kingdom in all of its power, in all of its authority, Lord. You are going to do that one day. No one knows the day or the hour, Lord, but let us be prepared for whenever that might be. And let us take advantage of every day of our life, Lord, to depend upon you, to glorify you, and to serve your purposes. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.